Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today we're going to talk about the baby who has difficulty latching in the hospital prior to hospital discharge. This ends up being a very frustrating situation, not only for mom and the baby, but also for the healthcare providers caring for the family. We're going to have a conversation with a well-known international expert in breastfeeding medicine, Dr. Tina Smiley. Dr. Smiley is a pediatrician, lactation consultant, and a fellow of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. She recently published a DVD called Baby-Led Breastfeeding, The Mother-Baby Dance. She's been practicing breastfeeding medicine exclusively for the past 14 years. Hi, Tina. Thanks for being here. Oh, good to hear your voice, Anne. Yeah. So let's first talk about what happens after the baby's born, assuming that the baby's born in the hospital. What are the most important things that we as health professionals need to do to enable successful breastfeeding before the baby leaves the hospital? Well, I think the most important thing we can do is just protect the mother's time with her baby. Just the two of them need lots of time to just cuddle, snuggling and the mom sleeping, the baby sleeping on the mother's chest so that the baby can take uh, his own time looking for the breast um, when he's not too sleepy and not too hungry. Because what most people don't realize is that babies are already hardwired to do this and we don't need to be pushing them to um, get onto the breast. We just need to have them just to have time snuggling, um, just like puppies and kittens. They can find their way to the breast if they get there on their own time. So, but they have to be calm and relaxed and comfortable. So the easiest thing is for the to start with the mother kind of lounging back and the baby resting between her breasts, not in a breastfeeding position at all. Um, so, and then you just wait. You're just on baby time, and it really makes it much easier for the nurses because they don't have to be hanging around um, making it happen. They just need to allow it to happen. So, in fact, it's pressure on the baby that's often counterproductive, trying to get the baby onto the nipple. And that's, you know, doesn't take advantage of the baby's hardwired behavior. Um, and instead, can, if you're pressuring them, put the baby into a behavioral state that's not the least bit conducive to, conducive to either learning or feeding. But when the baby's calm and it's his idea, he's, he'll start twisting around and bobbing his head down and his mouth starts opening wide. And then the mother's job is simply to keep him calm and relaxed and secure and following her instincts to see how much she wants to help him do what he's already trying to do um, and more responsively to him rather than trying to cause it to happen. But it really just happens on baby time. So we need tons of quiet time together. And that's really the most important thing that we can do as healthcare providers is just um, protect their time. So I guess that would mean protecting them from too many visitors in the hospital. Well, not just visitors. That's true. The, the, the visitors are really an issue, but um, it's surprising. But they also need to be protected from excessive staff interruptions. Barbara, Western, Barbara Morrison at Case Western did a study on that a few years ago, and she was just looking at the very first day postpartum, just looking from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., and she found that on average that moms were interrupted, get this, more than 50 times during that 12-hour study of 8 to 8. Oh. And 
And it wasn't just visitors, it was mostly staff. Um, So, and they also looked at the intervals of the time that the babies and the mothers had alone together. And most of the time it was only a few minutes before they were interrupted again. So I think it's really amazing that babies learn to breastfeed at all under those situations. So from from my point of view, I think for charting purposes, instead of trying to have the nurses um, document how many minutes the baby's on the breast, I think it would be much more useful to document how many hours the mother and baby have of uninterrupted time together. That sounds like great advice. So what are the most common reasons for failure of the baby to latch? Well, long separations, like the baby being down the hall in the nursery or just in the same room, but in a little plastic bucket, um, are one problem. And studies have shown that mothers actually get better rest when the babies are um, in the room with them anyway. Um, And studies also show that cuddling time um, increases maternal confidence and that increases um, breastfeeding success. But besides those separations, there's another really big problem. And in our, at least in my breastfeeding practice, we frequently see babies with so-called breast distress or breast rejection who cry and who cry and they're offered the breast. Um, they might bob and move down to the breast, just like I was saying, but then they arch and start crying as soon as they realize where they are. But when I get a history on this, invariably I get the same history, and that is that sometime in the hospital, someone pushed that baby onto the breast when the baby was already distressed and upset. Um, So it's not fair really to blame the staff because there's a whole lot of pressure on nurses to get the babies to feed um, before they go home. But at the same time, nurses are given very little training on what normal neonatal neurobehavior is. So the problem is if you already think the babies are incompetent and and you don't know that babies are hardwired to breastfeed, um, then what happens is what I hear all the time from the mothers, and that is she'll say about the nurse, she took my baby and she took my breast and she shoved the baby on. And the mothers always say it with this very upsetting tone of voice and this upsetting look on their face and with a shudder. No wonder the babies seem to be rejecting the breast. They've got a terrible association there. They're already crying and then they're shoved onto the breast. It's really noxious and completely unphysiologic. Um, So that's not how kittens or puppies or little monkeys learn how to feed, all wrapped up like a little burrito in a little baby straitjacket and then prodded and teased and harassed at the breast. You don't learn how to do things that way. So I'd say the two biggest reasons for failure to take the breast are all those separations and interruptions and then this business of shoving the baby onto the breast. So in these difficult latch situations, what's the best way to support mom and baby so that mom doesn't feel discouraged and give up her attempts to nurse? Well, the mom first needs to find out that the baby really already knows how to do this and that the baby isn't really rejecting her or the breast, but it's just responding to a negative situation. Because fortunately, babies have very short memories and it's really quite easy to reboot them, if you will. Um, and uh, also, um, babies keep this ability to search for and find the breast and be interested for a really long time. So what do I mean by rebooting the baby? Basically, what we need to do is um, substitute um, those negative associations with the breast with positive associations to show the baby that the breast is a safe, calm, lovely place to be. It's home for them. And the baby needs to relearn that. So the, if, if the baby's been rejecting the breast, the mother's already been feeding the baby her breast milk or formula or something. Um, and so she needs to um, continue to feed the baby and, of course, um, pump her milk if she is getting too much formula. But um, she needs to keep feeding the baby. But then after the baby's been fed, when he's really relaxed and full and comfortable, what we call milk drunk, then let the baby sleep on the mother's upper chest, skin against skin. It doesn't really need to be at the breast, but just 
skin against skin so that the baby just remembers that he loves being there and he loves being on his mom's chest and that's where he feels full and satiated and content and that sets up the positive associations that reminds him that this is home and then it becomes easier for him to learn how to breastfeed once he has abolished that noxious association so the mom just does this you know you know as after as many feedings um, that are convenient for her if she's got other children it might only be once or twice a day during the older child's bedtime or you know nap time or something like that but little by little that baby is going to feel more and more comfortable and then during that time off like I said um, if she's um, while she's not trying to breastfeed she can use some time to um, push up her milk production back up again by expressing her milk um, and at the colostrum stage it's much easier to do this with your hands um, are often a lot more effective than the pump um, I always send moms to Jane Morton's website where she has a great um, video on the Stanford University NICU website showing moms how to hand express. She did some amazing research that showed that mothers who did hand expression five or six times a day as an adjunct to pumping got um, a couple weeks later were making an average of 10 to 12 ounces a day more than the mothers who were pumping the same amount but not using hand expression. So I think it's really an impressive piece of data and um, well worth sending mothers to her website. Yeah, that sounds like a skill that uh, many mothers should learn, that, that almost all mothers should learn before they leave the Absolutely. hospital. Absolutely, then they're not uh, the victim of needing to have electricity around if the baby's not going to the breast. <laughs> Right. So with proper support, what do you think the prognosis is for a mother and infant when the baby leaves the hospital before nursing properly? Do you think that this baby will eventually get to the breast or is this a bad sign? No, really. Um, I think that what happens is um, a lot of people think it's a bad sign and then they, they it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy if they sound really discouraging to the mother. But really the prognosis is excellent because like I said, babies keep this ability for a really long time and they just need proper support. Um, and plenty of cuddling time. So um, pretty much even those babies who are very distressed and crying at the breast, like I said, they pretty much all get back to the breast as long as we have the patience to wait for them and let them do it on their own time. So I find that in our practice, just by taking a little bit of time off and cuddling and so forth so that the baby regains the trust, trust they, they pretty much all do it. Um, so a lot of people have this artificial clock ticking in their head. They think that the baby hasn't, if the baby hasn't started breastfeeding by the time they're three days old or two weeks old or whatever number they put in their head, that all is lost. But actually it gets easier. It's the other way around. It actually gets easier as the clock keeps ticking because the baby is maturing neurodevelopmentally and it's much easier for babies to learn when they're calm and relaxed and actually in tune with their mother. And the really young baby is usually sort of buried in their own little world most of the time and only occasionally is looking out and making eye contact with mother. But as time goes on, they're spending more and more time making eye contact and that's the easy time for a baby to um, be able to follow through on their instincts is when they're sort of engaged with their mother. So it gets easier and easier. And certainly by the time a baby is a month old, not, not that most mothers would ever have to wait that long, but nevertheless, by the time a baby is a month old, they're making much more of this social alert, eye-to-eye -eye contact kind of time. And so it then that's when it gets really easy for babies to learn to breastfeed. Little girls often when they're somewhere around four to six weeks of age are reaching that developmental stage and boys are a little bit later, somewhere like six to eight weeks. But babies keep their ability to learn to breastfeed even way longer than that, months probably. So I'd say the prognosis is excellent as long as you, uh, the provider has the patience and the knowledge to know that, it, that they can give that mother that kind of expectation.
but you have to trust the babies too. Wow. Well, Dr. Smiley, thank you so much for your advice. That sounds fantastic. And thanks for joining me on our first Breastfeeding Medicine podcast. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.